Hi everyone, just before I get into the subject matter and introduction for this episode, I just want to give a general warning for the whole thing. It does end up talking about some subjects to do with child abuse, sexual abuse and genital mutilation. So if these are things that are going to upset or trigger you, I suggest not listening to the second half of this episode when I go into speaking specifically about the authors. Today I'm going to be looking at a book that took me in a lot of directions research-wise and hence this being a slightly different episode to the norm. Now usually I tell you a teeny bit about the author, um, I google them just a little bit just to find out you know what they're doing, if they're a member of any groups, what other things they've written such and such like. When I read this book though it struck so many wrong notes with me that I thought this isn't right this is very strange book so I went to a group that I'm a member of um, or was a member of on Facebook and just said hey has anyone else read this book there's some weird stuff in it that doesn't seem compatible with what I know of as Wicca and I got a gamut of responses okay I got two responses I got the response of yeah here's why and a lot of very useful information which enabled me to find some resources which I'm going to talk to you about and quote from and also another response which is the response you'll get if you ask any questions about wicker on the internet so moving past that the book that i'm going to be talking about is the witch's book of magical ritual subheading use the forces of wicker to direct your psychic powers then underneath that gavin frost phd and dd and yvonne frost dd the founders of the church and school of wicker authors of the witch's magical handbook end sentence begin anew so that's quite a long title i actually found this book at a car boot sale it was 50p and it was in a box with a bunch of other crap so my hopes for it were not high uh, and yet when i got into it my hopes were even less basically i'm going to break this down into two sections the first section is just going to be stuff about this specific book and then the latter half of the episode is going to be about the frosts on whom i've done quite a bit of research in the last two days so just to give you a rundown of the contents of the book and basically why it gave me a weird feeling uh, and maybe these will be some things that you can keep in mind when you're reading new books by authors you haven't heard of before uh, about wicker and things and you start feeling actually this isn't quite right and maybe there's a good reason for that so what instantly threw me off is the fact that in the introduction section they taught themselves up quite a lot uh, the introduction is in fact headed why you should pay attention to this book and it says the authors combine more experience of actually living witchcraft and its associated rituals than anyone else which is a pretty bold statement and continues more than 30 years ago, we founded a, a correspondence co school for witches. In those years, we have guided over 40,000 students worldwide along the Wiccan path. We, the authors, were witches. Before we founded the correspondence school, our combined associated life in the craft amounts to over 80 years. I have never read a book about witchcraft, or I would hazard to say a non-fiction book, that has to flex that hard at the beginning. Usually, the more someone tells you that they're important and that they know their stuff, the more you know that they're lying, or not lying per se, but just trying to make themselves sound important because they know they're actually not. And you get this quite a lot um, when I was a member of pagan forums back in my teens. People would make up bullshit degrees and cover names and things to add to their profile to make themselves sound important. But they were like 13, 14 year old girls who had just got into it and just wanted to be bitches. And I'm not saying 
that the writers of this book are 13, 14. Clearly they're not. The Frosts have quite a well-documented life in Wicca. But at the same time, it gives me very odd feelings when someone has to work that hard at the beginning to try and get you to listen to them instead of just saying, you know, here's a book that I wrote about a subject that I'm interested in based on my experiences that you can agree with or you cannot agree with as you see fit. The thing that also like instantly made me very sceptical about the book that I was reading is a section subheaded The Power of the Wand that's on page six of chapter one and it says the wand is a powerful magical tool that directs the force to your chosen target. Do not lightly point it at people and never ever point it at anyone's eyes. That's just very strange to me. Obviously, yes, the wand is a magical tool. You don't want to be waving it around in Tesco like a dick. But that doesn't mean pointing at someone's eyes is going to make them go blind or something. It just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. It made me think that they were taking the piss maybe a little. Like they were very much too literal in what they believed. And it was also something that I'd never heard before. And usually when you hear something you've never heard before, it's either a very useful piece of interesting information or bullshit that someone's made up and there is no middle ground on that. So I kind of continued with the book with a wary eye looking for other things that might be weird and off-putting. I have to say there was actually some useful information in this book. Um, quite a lot of the chapters about why we do ritual, like why would you need to do a ritual, the reasons people do rituals and how to look at what your actual needs are before you start planning a ritual that all made a lot of sense to me. That is definitely something that people should think about. I don't know why it had to be accompanied by worksheets. The book is very big on worksheets. But, you know, if you can just sit down and think about it and then maybe write in your book of shadows or I'm sorry, as this book tells you to call it the book of light, because that's what they call it. Um, then you can just write that down. I don't see why you have to draw out the table that they're telling you to. But the book seems to be quite big on you doing things this one way and no other way because that is the right way which kind of seems to me a teeny bit culty um it reminded me a little bit of in like the simpsons and things like that when they take the piss out of scientology so not actual scientology but just like the kind of culty weird you need to buy this crystal for 40 dollars to protect you from astral tigers kind of weird just to give an example of this on page 85 in the beginning of the magical tools and location section it gives a list of like essential equipment for your ritual and item d on the list is the book of light bracket once called a book of shadows close bracket now i still call my book of shadows a book of shadows I wasn't aware that the name had been changed for that. I know some people call it different things. Some people might not have a book at all, which is fine. But this is just saying, oh, no, we call it this now, which I found very strange. So I skipped ahead to page 93, where it gives instructions for making the Book of Light. And in that it says, we prefer to call the Book of Shadows the Book of Light, bracket, S, close bracket. It doesn't say why, but it does at least say here we prefer. So if it's their preference, which they haven't given any reason for, which I guess they don't need to if it's their personal preference. I don't know why it is presented as fact at the beginning of the section that it's no longer called a book of shadows. It's called the book of light. This kind of doctrine look at basically being like presenting what they're saying as doctrine uh, is in evidence on page 77 uh, it says anything you touch with emotion retains some of you in it 
In fact, these tiny fragments are called soul pieces. They always remain connected to you. For millennia, workers of magic have used such things as nail clippings and dolls made with the subject's own hair as devices to connect them rapidly to a subject. Yes, you can work sympathetic magic and things like that using people's hair and toenails or whatever it is you happen to find of them. I don't know how they can say that this has been going on for millennia, but definitely quite a long time. The thing that I have an issue with is when they say these tiny fragments are called soul pieces. Not we call these tiny fragments soul pieces. Not some people call these tiny fragments soul pieces, but they are called that. I have never heard the phrase fucking soul pieces in all my live long days. Um, definitely not in any other books about Wicca, not anything that I've read of Scott Cunningham or Raymond Buckland or any of like the big names that you think of as like Wiccan writers. Never heard that expression before in my life. Googling it brought up very little. Uh, obviously, both parts of that phrase are kind of words that you would just find anywhere on the Internet. So I wasn't expecting it to bring up much. But this definitely sounds like something that they do, that they are saying that everybody does. And there's a lot of that throughout the book. They also big up the book. The whole point of it is the master ritual format, which is towards the end. There's like a, a ritual that you can do to cast your circle and do your ritual workings. But it is for a group. There is no solitary version. And they're basically just saying this is the best version and you need to do it this way if you actually want things to happen. And they say, we've used this master ritual format for more than 30 years. It came to us from a coven group in Cornwall in southwest England via the coven that initiated Gavin almost 50 years ago. How long they have been using it successfully and how long the people they got it from have been using it, we have no way of knowing. But we suspect that it came from the mid 1800s. That seems all very unverifiable and just not particularly worth much as a guarantee. There's lots of ways of casting a circle. I generally don't trust a book that says here is the way you cast a circle. and If you don't do it my way, you're doing it wrong because there's lots of different ways to do it. Lots of ways are effective for some people, but not for others because we all have different brains. And it's about getting into that ritual space and creating it in a way that will work for you, which is a very personal thing. Probably like one of the most personal things because it's creating your own sacred space in which to worship. So I've given a few examples of things that kind of stuck out for me as being suspect or just a bit weird. And it kind of gave me this weird feeling like it was trying to sell me something. I'm not sure what that thing was, but they also mentioned quite a lot of their other books in this. And they kept referring to other books that they previously published, which I never like in a book. It's like, well, I bought this book. In this case, I didn't really actually buy it from a shop. I bought it for 50p from a folding table in a field but this is the book that I bought I don't want to be told oh in our other book it's like no if you're writing a book about this thing this thing better be in the book it shouldn't just be a book that tells me to go and buy seven other books because that's not the point um Silver Ravenworth is an author that does that a little bit when I read her like solitary witch incredibly long title I can't remember book it referred back to a number of other books that she'd written but this one felt like it was very much going for the hard sell in terms of go and buy our books also we have this church that's online and you can get like courses and stuff from there so with that in mind and while I was waiting for the inevitable horrible remarks to be made on my post online I went and did a little bit of digging on the church website so what it's called is church and school of wicca has this whole website I'll put 
all the links to these resources from online in the description box um, just so that you can go and read them for you know issues of transparency but if you go on to the church tab at the top and then go to the founders of Wicca I was like okay so maybe they're going to talk about Garner and stuff because they hadn't mentioned Garner or Buckland even and like Buckland is sort of what people write about when they're like oh this is the person who brought Wicca from England to America and I was like okay maybe they're going to mention them because a lot of the stuff in this book kind of smacked of being like a kind of psychic powers course that you would go on out of the back of a magazine there's a lot of that in there so I was like okay maybe we need to go to the website to see how this all factors into Wicca but the founders of Wicca page on their website is their biography which is very strange the Frosts were the one of the first groups I think they were the second group to actually have like a federally recognized tax exempt church for Wicca set up in America According to the website, the church was formed in 1968, gaining federal recognition in 1972. Um, and then the bullet point underneath that, and this is on just the church page on the website, says that they were the first to use Wicca to describe the religion of witchcraft. Now, this is very easy to verify that they are, in fact, incorrect. In the 1950s, Gerald Gardner referred to pagan witchcraft community as the Wicca, um, with one C, but still Wicca. So that's not correct. It also comes from an old English word, so goes back even further than that. So having read a few things that I could sort of see were a bit iffy facts-wise, insofar as the facts that I already knew, I decided to dig a little deeper and here I'm going to give a trigger warning for discussion of sexual assault and sexual abuse of minors because we're about to go down a very long rabbit hole into what I found on the internet. After googling around for a little bit to find out information about the Frosts I came across an article on a blog called Pagan Activist called The Frosts and Consent Culture and it contained links to a few other articles which I then also read and will probably reference later on in this and will also link to but it was basically talking about consent in pagan communities um, but it gave the frosts as sort of an example and what they've written is who are the frosts Gavin and Yvonne Frost make an excellent case study on the issue of accountability. Back in the 1970s, they published The Witch's Bible, later published as The Good Witch's Bible. The original version and subsequent versions contain several paragraphs in Chapter 4 which detail a sexual initiation ritual that parents should engage their barely pubescent children in. A later edition clarified that none of the rituals described in the book should be done by anyone under 18, yet the text remained using the word child and describing physical sexual characteristics of puberty, girls who were supposed to have sex with a man who was part of the coven one month after their period started. The chapter describes how girls should be given one month to prepare for sex with a wooden phallus, to prepare for the ritual boys and girls are to fast for three days and then be given alcohol. So that's quite a lot to take in. Um, there's always been cases that sort of crop up about people abusing people under the guise of religion. It happens a lot, I guess, because, you know, people that you trust and leave children alone with, not all of those people are going to be good people. So I wouldn't say that Wicca is the only religion that has these issues. But I had read something else about ritualised 
child abuse and witchcraft. So I knew that some of this stuff had happened before and there had been news articles about people coming forward and saying that they'd been taken to rituals and had been abused as children. And there's also been some stuff, um, particularly on the BBC News, um, which was referenced in another review that I did, about immigrant children being punished or tortured by their families because they believe that the child is a witch. So sort of the two sides of that. What surprised me about this is that it was published in a book um, and not just something that, you know, the whistle had been blown, people had come forward and it had been in the news. They actually published this in a book. There was a link in the original blog article that I was reading to where the text for this book um, could be found or where part of the text could be found. It wasn't the whole book. It was just a section. Um, and this was from, ironically, a website called The Ultimate Evil Child Abuse Awareness Blog. Uh, the actual page is called Holding Wicker Accountable Part 2, The Good Witch's Bible. And this is apparently the text from the 7th edition dated January 2007. So this was still in the book in 2007. There's quite a lot of just ritual preparation and things. But the paragraph that jumped out at me is it is hoped by Wicker that the first full sexual experience will take place in the pleasant surroundings of the coven and that the spiritual as well as the physical aspects of the experience will lead the child to a complete life. The horror stories through which the establishment attempts to downgrade this aspect of Wicca and the threatened terrible consequences of obeying natural instincts cause Wicca to more time and trouble in preparation for the sexual experience than of old. The physical attributes of male and female virginity are destroyed at the youngest possible age, either by the mother or by a doctor. In the female case, the hymen is painlessly broken surgically. In the male case, the mother makes absolutely sure that the foreskin can be drawn fully back by cutting the underside attachment membrane. So what they're talking about there is genital mutilation of children, which is vile and disgusting. Um, I listened to the Guilty Feminist podcast and they often have episodes which are either wholly or mostly devoted to talking about genital mutilation of female children and the effects that that has on them later on in life. This obviously is not the kind of genital mutilation they're talking about there. In that instance they're talking about full or partial removal of the clitoris and outer labia um, and in some rare cases like trying to sew that up to prevent access to the vagina this is talking about cutting or removing the hymen the hymen being a tissue barrier within the vagina which not everyone has when they are born but for the majority of people they do have one in their vagina and it will sometimes break down through normal activity but sometimes is there and causes some pain during sex when it's broken and obviously the foreskin is part of the penis which is removed during normal circumcision which is a religious rite in judaism it's not generally one that i support i don't really like the idea of a permanent bodily change being made to anyone without their consent let alone a child further information is given about the fact that the children approaching this initiation are assigned a sponsor of the opposite sex the male sponsor is the one to assist the girl with the practice of intercourse with a wooden phallus if she finds this difficult and it also says the novice makes her own decision on contraception or lack of it if she needs advice or help the sponsor is the one to give it the iud is the recommended wicker preventative there's a lot of disturbing things in that i would venture to say that the 
sum total of what I've just read is incredibly disturbing. And you would think that no one in their right mind would try to justify the fact that that was written, that they would not try to defend the people who wrote it or say that those people had any place in any religious movement, let alone one like Wicca, which is meant to be about nature and openness and positivity and in doing unto others as you would have done to yourself and most importantly in harming none you would think that this would go against that entirely but you would be wrong because there are people still defending this so let's check in with some resources on that now apparently in the aftermath of that book's publication and the general outcry of people reading it and going what the fuck are you talking about the frost said that they had never actually performed this ritual and that it was just a ritual that they had included and then some stuff was muttered about how oh yeah it's based on like old rites that are old and therefore it's old and it's fine um and that they then in later editions of the book had um, a warning above it that said this ritual should not be performed for anyone under the age of 18 but the word child is still used in there pretty sure a child is someone under 18 so i mean that sounds like kind of bullshit but i'm definitely not saying that this is something that they have done but it is definitely something that was written into their book and then published with their consent so it's something that was advertised in their book as something that you would do if you were Wiccan. I also found it weirdly funny at this point and by weirdly funny I don't mean necessarily funny haha I just found it kind of weird and strange that when I went to the church and school of Wicca website which is the Frost organization a little box popped up when I visited it like when you go to some other websites um, that says by clicking this you're agreeing that you are 18 years or older uh, and then you have to click on a different bit if you're a parent or guardian of a child so that's really considerate of them. I really wish that they'd been that considerate about any of the stuff that I've just read. Going back to that, the founders of Wicca page, which I was referencing earlier, right at the bottom of that was a bit that I read at the time but didn't really understand what it was talking about. It says, they have always been cutting edge philosophers and have made no bones about sexual activity within covens. Their candour has alienated many plastic pagans and caused the frost to be controversial within the New Age metaphysical subculture. That controversy itself has generated many students coming to criticise, who are then, to their own surprise, convinced by the frost's teachings that the craft is a valid spiritual path. Now, when I read that the first time that I visited the website and had just finished the book and was not aware of the stuff that had been published in the witch's bible which was so controversial because i wasn't around in the 1970s when that came out i assumed that this was a reference to the fact that you know some covens and groups practice like sex in circle for the great right and things like that between consenting adults and that some people might think that that's a bit like icky or makes pagans look bad or makes us look immoral or whatever that's definitely what they're making it sound like because they say sexual activity within covens and not, for example, sexual activity with a minor. Also, the last line of that talking about how this controversy brings in people who don't agree with the frost and how those people have their eyes opened to what the frosts are all about and how they then see the craft as a valid spiritual path. Well, I mean, if you disagree with the frost, that doesn't mean that you don't think Wicca is a religion, which seems to be what they're trying to imply. But it again comes across as a bit kind of culty and a bit fake 
Simpsons parody of Scientology kind of thing. You know, we love the leader. What does the leader keep in the leader's secret barn? We don't know. It's just giving me all of those feelings and it's just very strange. Another article that I'll link to below is from the Wild Hunt Modern Pagan News and Commentary website, which is very useful for catching up on drama. Um, and this is an article from April the 6th, 2014, so about five years ago now. Um, but it's basically about the Florida Pagan Gathering, shortened to FPG, and about how the Frosts were going to be there, invited to be there. And this led to groups being formed on Facebook, people stepping down from being involved in the festival because they didn't want to have anything to do with it, and various hoo-ha going back and forth on whether it was right to not want them to be there or whether it was being unfair or a moral panic as some people said so this was something that was still very much going on it, you know to have gone from the 70s to now people are still angry about it and i was surprised that this isn't something that i had come across before because even before the podcast i did try to read quite widely about this sort of thing but i guess this is the kind of thing that either you have to be around when it's happening and involved in the community, which I wasn't in the 70s because I was an ovum and a sperm that had yet to be generated. Or it's something that you become aware of in the way that I have. You come across one of the Frost's books and you ask a question, who are these guys and why is this book so different to everything else about Wicca? And then someone screams at you for being ignorant. So having got nothing from them you go and do some research which is not the best way to find out about things but definitely effective in this case i was sort of interested to see after looking up all this stuff and seeing how people had reacted to that book then and now how the frosts were themselves trying to change people's opinions or maybe defend what they'd done i kind of wanted to hear not their side, because I don't think there's really any justification for writing that, but to see if they made an apology or anything like that in the intervening time, because let's be honest, it's been quite a while and maybe they would have come to their senses by now. So again, this was a link from the original article about consent. It was to Rob's magic blog, that's magic with a K, and the article is called The Frosts hyphen paedophiles in our midst, which was unambiguous in terms of what the focus of that article would be. But although not a lot of the stuff in it is very well sourced, there were a few links towards the beginning and it mentioned the titles of some articles that they had themselves written in justification of what they had done. So the first one that I went to was one called Which Wars and Their Costs. Um, and this was published on the Church and School of Wicca website on June 29th, 2007. So that was about four years after the book that I'm actually have just read was published. So quite recent in terms of where all this is going on. Uh, and aside from them not knowing how to paragraph, because this is just one solid block of text, what they've written doesn't make a huge amount of sense to me. So the article is called Witch Wars and Their Cost, and I'll put a link to it again in the description box. I'm going to read you a few extracts from it. Basically, it's talking about the original furor over the, the witch's Bible. And then they say, the experience taught us one very simple lesson. To wit, responding to attacks only increases the ego satisfaction and the name recognition of the self-appointed Cowan who does the attacking. Wait, why use the word Cowan? A prime tenet of the Wiccan pagan community is, if it harms none, do what you will. 
public attacks on Wiccans and pagans are harmful. Ipso facto, the attackers are not Wiccans or pagans, but instead are nurturing in their psyche an internalised sectarian Christian paradigm. So I've already spoken in another review about the word Cowan, which is kind of like an outdated thing where people essentially use to refer to people who weren't Wiccans. So I think people call them muggles now in a kind of funny nod to Harry Potter. Basically, they're saying attacking Wiccans makes you not Wiccan. Now, I don't agree with the logic of that statement anyway, but I've also learned in my time on the internet that anyone who uses the actual phrase ipso facto, let alone the word paradigm, is someone who is trying to make themselves sound important because they're pissed off and they feel like they're being put down. The article then ends saying, while you were thinking about witch wars, perhaps you should think as well about who gains when these things flare up. Of course, the whole Christian right wing bush run theocracy gains as they see their oppositions split apart. There are short term gains for people running festivals if they can advertise another witch burning. And of course, there are the authors and publishers of what we describe as yellow press books on the level of National Enquirer. So we asked, do you want this to happen? This makes it sound like the Frosts are implying that the entire pagan movement lives or dies on whether people accept that there is a passage about child molestation in one of their books. Basically, if you have a problem with them saying that, then Bush wins. Christians win. Because if Wiccans don't stand up for Wiccans, we're all doomed. And this kind of reminds me of uh, an argument I've actually had with people. Uh, Theresa May I don't know if people are listening from America, but Theresa May is currently the Prime Minister of England. Who knows if she will be by the time this episode goes out. But there we go. And she's a Tory, a Conservative, very into austerity, cutting funds for a lot of things that I and a lot of other people consider to be important for the people of Britain. And yet when I have said things like this and said, you know, I don't agree with her policies, people have said, well, you're a feminist you should support her because she's a woman. She's only the second female prime minister we've ever had. To which I respond, well, I hated Margaret Thatcher too, and I wasn't even alive when she was around. This idea that you have to support someone because they're on your team is very bizarre. You don't have to like someone just because you're both women. You don't have to agree with someone just because you're in the same political party. And you definitely don't have to defend people who call themselves Wiccans while they espouse things like child abuse. And saying that having a problem with this and starting a witch war and basically an online slanging match because of this makes you not Wiccan because you're causing harm, kind of makes me think, well, I mean, how much harm are you causing by cutting up a child's foreskin or removing their hymen surgically when they're a child? That seems to me like a lot more harm than just typing some stuff in a box and hitting send. So I think it goes without saying that I do not recommend this book. I say that because I was accused of trying to promote the Frosts in making this episode, when I was asking for information about it online, which is very strange to me, but there we go. I'm not promoting this book. I definitely don't think that you should go out and buy it because, to my mind, there was nothing really worth reading in it. A couple of interesting ideas about Wicker and then a whole lot of other stuff that just plain isn't Wicker. And also, more than that, I don't think you should be giving your money to people who write books that include things that say child abuse is okay and part of a Wiccan lifestyle, which it definitely isn't. I'm not quite sure what to do with this copy, but 
maybe just chuck it back in a car boot sale box from whence it came. Off the back of this though I am quite glad that I found and read this book because it's quite important I think to talk about integrity of leaders in the pagan community and a lot of people have done quite a lot of things in terms of making Wicca visible as a religion and making sure that it's easy for us as Wiccans to have access to freedom of religion and the rights that we have to practice as Wiccans and witches. The Frosts could easily be put into that category having set up their church and made it federally recognised and all the rest of it and okay quite a lot of that was maybe for their own benefit and also some might say to the detriment of other practicing Wiccans because it kind of confused the whole issue of whether other pagan groups came under their church and various things like that but at the end of the day you can definitely say that they created visibility but that doesn't mean that they're good leaders and it doesn't mean that they shouldn't be held accountable for dodgy shit like this it's very easy to say you know as a community that is at times still persecuted in one way or another um, that we have to stick together and I've often heard people like on forums and things talking about getting pagans to agree is like herding cats and yes there are a lot of witch wars and slanging matches and I don't think you have to support people like that you don't have to say oh well we're all in this community we're all part of it we you should all support each other and carry on because that's how we succeed it's definitely the time now in 2019 especially given all the things that came into the media last year with the me too movement to hold people accountable for what they're doing and to demand better and that's why i think the original article that i found uh, on the pagan activist about consent culture is so important and i definitely recommend giving that one a read because it's very interesting it can be easy at times because wicca is such um, a sex positive religion and sex is part of some of the rights and things that we do not even necessarily actual physical sex but the symbolism behind heterosexual sex in the great right the athame the chalice all of that and the way in which it is used as an allegory to explain the creation of the world through the goddess and the god it can be easy at those times to allow yourself to be put into a position where you become uncomfortable with the people that you are with and for them to use that to try and manipulate you into saying yes to things that you don't want to do or to in extreme cases do those things without consent of any kind coerced or not in terms of a lesson from this book it's not necessarily a magical lesson which is what i tend to find you know when reading books about magic but i think the lesson is twofold and very important the first part is definitely about consent and sex and its place in paganism and Wicca especially, how it is approached, how we recognise abuses of the culture within the subculture and the fact that although we are Wiccans, they're, they're still people. We're not some perfect race of people who have never fostered rapists in our midst or people who are charlatans abusing their position. And this is not just talking about the specific example of the frost, but I think everyone has had these experiences where you meet very dodgy people um, who claim to be interested in Wicca or hear stories about people who have been kicked out of groups that you've just joined because they were weird and because they tried to manipulate or abuse other people. 
it's definitely an important lesson to take in as a community that we need to do better we need to do exactly what the rest of the world needs to do exactly what the rest of civilization needs to do whether in counterculture subculture whatever we need to just say no we're not going to take this anymore we're not going to take even the slightest hint of this kind of behavior it is not okay and it doesn't matter if you've founded a church or formed a march or how whatever you've done however important you think you are we're not going to take it and the other part of the lesson is what i discovered while reading this book which is that if something sounds wrong if it feels wrong when you're reading about it or hearing about it trust your instincts and do some research on if it's a book, the author, if it's a, a real life group on the people who are in the group and who have left it, trust your instincts because you're probably onto something. If you read a book and think this sounds very strange and like very different and slightly odd ideas are being put forward under the banner of something else that I am more familiar with, do a little bit of research into the background and you'll probably come across exactly what it was that was giving you those very strange feelings. I hope you've enjoyed this slightly unusual episode of the podcast and if you want to get in touch you can do so via Twitter which is at witchfix or via Gmail which is witchfixpodcast at gmail.com. In the meantime I'll see you in the next one. Bye! <laughs>